Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Welcome to the Travelcast, episode 433. The Travelcast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your ghost, Cryptkeeper Norm. Well, 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 what strange alignment of celestial bodies has resulted in this lovely circumstance this year? H.P. Lovecraft Month on the Drabblecast in October, launching with the annual Drabblecast Halloween special? 2020 really is all out of whack, isn't it? At least it gives me, Cryptkeeper Norm, an opportunity to make my annual appearance as Halloween episode guest ghost a bit early. Ah, Halloween, everyone's favorite holiday for trespassing on strangers' property and making non-negotiable demands. Give me razor blades, or candy, whatever the kids say, I can never remember which it is, which is why I find it best to just combine the two. Cover your bases. Do you have any idea how hard it is to get a razor blade and candy corn? Takes years of practice. Anyways, being an audio magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, each year the Travelcast pays homage to the work and mythos of author H.P. Lovecraft, the so-called godfather of weird fiction, by commissioning original stories by some of our favorite authors today. Not all horror, mind you. Lovecraft's ideas in fiction, of which there are many, are just starting points for these guys, and you never know what you're going to get. Much like when you bite into a piece of potentially razor-free candy corn. Either way, it's always good times, and this year we look forward to bringing you Travelcast-commissioned stories by authors Chris Lester, Adam Troy Castro, and Matthew Sanborn-Smith. A splendid selection. We hope you enjoy. However, before we get into all that good stuff, we'd like to start things off each year with a presentation from the man himself. This year, we bring you The Shadow Over Innsmith. This isn't a straight reading of Lovecraft's original novella, Shadow Over Innsmith, mind you. You can find that plenty on the interwebs if you want the classic experience. No, this is a thrilling, full-cast audio production version by Dark Adventure Radio Theater and the H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society, which is a great group and website which I must plug now if you're a fan of H.P. Lovecraft. It has music, audio productions, games, art, apparel, even housewares. Why not get a Cthulhu treetopper just in time for the holidays? Oh, holy night. Go to hplhs.org. The novella Shadow Over Innsmouth was written in 1931 and was the only of his stories to be published in book form during his lifetime. A student conducting an antiquarian tour of New England travels through the nearby decrepit seaport of Innsmouth, where he interacts with strange people and observes disturbing things that eventually lead to... Well, you'll see. Without further ado, we bring you The Shadow Over Innsmouth. February 24th, 1928. Federal agents raid waterfront town in the government's ongoing war against illegal liquor. 
I'm Nathan Reed for Worldwide Wireless News. A secret investigation of conditions in the Massachusetts seaport town of Innsmouth culminated today in a massive Treasury Department raid. G-men stormed crumbling in supposedly empty houses along the waterfront, arresting dozens of people on suspicion of liquor trafficking. Wards and warehouses used for illegal activity were set ablaze and dynamited by police demolition experts. Federal Agent Jack McGraw oversaw the vast series of raids. The Bureau has been investigating Innsmouth for months based on information provided by concerned citizens. The government acted to protect the public safety and health. Agent McGraw declined to provide further details into the ongoing investigation, but residents of neighboring towns say that Innsmouth has long been a dangerous place. An outbreak of plague and resulting riots shook the town in 1846, and it's had a shadowy reputation ever since. The story quickly faded from the headlines. There were some rumors about disease and concentration camps, talk of military prisons and naval submarines off the coast. But there were never any formal charges or public trials, and no one ever saw the captives again. People forgot about Innsmouth. Except, of course, for one young man. Robert Olmsted. Remember me? Federal Agent McGraw. Yeah, of course I remember you, Agent McGraw. What's the Bureau of Investigation want with me? That Innsmouth business was a long time ago. Oh, just following up on a few things. Mind if I come in? <sighs> Look, I, I gave you my report right after it happened. You questioned me again last year at college. If you don't mind my saying so, Olmstead, you, you don't look so good. I say you've aged 20 years. Are you sick? Well, I've been through a lot. Sure, sure. You've had a rough time of it. I haven't been quite myself. Really? Why don't you tell me about it? You were the one who told me to keep my mouth shut about it. You can tell me. It's odd. Lately, I have had a craving to talk about it. <laughs> Telling it might help me to restore confidence in my own faculties, to reassure myself that I was not the first to succumb to a contagious nightmare hallucination. Yeah, it helps me, too, in making up my mind regarding a certain terrible step which lies ahead of me. I still remember it all so clearly. How much is a ticket to Arkham? Return fare? No, just one way. One dollar fifteen. One fifteen? Too much. I'm afraid so. On holiday? Uh, a sightseeing tour. They're making some antiquarian and genealogical inquiries, too, but on a student's budget. You could take the old bus, I suppose, but ain't thought of much hereabouts. Looks like a terrible rattle trap. I've never been on it. Besides, it goes through Innsmouth, and people don't like it. Run by an Innsmouth fellow, Joe Sergeant. I suppose it's cheap enough, but I've never seen more than two or three people on it. Leaves the square in front of Hammond's drugstore at 10 a.m. and 7 p.m. Innsmouth? <laughs> I never heard of it. Maybe I'll stop off there, have a look around. What's it like? Innsmouth? Oh. Well, it's a queer kind of town. Used to be almost a city. Quite a port before the War of 1812. The rail line used to go there, but hasn't been a train on it in 50 years. More empty houses than there are people, I guess. No business to speak of, except fishing and lobstering. Everybody trades mostly either here in Arkham or Ipswich. Once they had quite a few mills, but there's nothing left now except for one gold refinery running on the leanest kind of part-time. Refinery used to be a big thing, and old man Marsh who owns it must be richer than Croesus. Queer old duck, though. He's supposed to have developed some skin disease or deformity late in life that makes him keep out of sight. Folks here about try to cover up any Innsmouth blood they have in them. <laughs> Why is everybody so down on Innsmouth? They've been telling things about Innsmouth for the last hundred years, and I gather they're more scared than anything else. Some of the stories that make you laugh about old Captain Marsh driving bargains with the devil and bringing imps out of hell or some kind of devil worship and sacrifices near the wharfs, but I come from Vermont, and that kind of story don't go down with me. Of course. You ought to hear what some of the old-timers tell about the Black Reef off the coast. Devil Reef, they call it. The story is there's a whole legion of devils sometimes seen on that reef, sprawled about or darting in and out of some kind of caves near the top. It's a rugged, uneven thing, good bit over a mile out. Towards the end of shipping days, sailors used to make big detours just to avoid it. Well, that is, sailors that didn't hail from Innsmouth. One of the things they had against old Captain Marsh was that he was supposed to land on it sometimes at night when the tide was right. Maybe he did, for I dare say the rock formation's interesting, and it's possible he was looking for pirate loot and maybe finding it, but there was talk of his dealing with demons there. The fact is, it was really the captain that gave the bad reputation to the reef. 
Is it old superstitions and stories that turn people against it? No. The real thing that's behind the way folks feel is simple race prejudice, and I don't say I'm blaming those that hold it. I hate Innsmouth folk myself, and I wouldn't care to go to that town. Strong words. There's a strange streak in the Innsmouth folk today. I, I don't know how to explain it, but it sort of makes your skin crawl. It, you'll notice a little in, in Sergeant if you take his bus. Some of them have queer, narrow heads with flat noses and bulgy, starey eyes that never seem to shut, and their, their skin ain't quite right. Rough and scabby, and the sides of the neck are all shriveled and creased up. Get bald, too, very young. The whole town's ugly? Mm, there's more <laughs> to it than that. Nobody around here, or in Arkham or Ipswich, will have anything to do with them. Is there a place to stay there? Mm. Gilman House, but I wouldn't advise you to try it. Better to stay over here and take the ten o'clock bus tomorrow morning. Then you can get an evening bus from there to, for Arkham at eight o'clock. What's wrong with the hotel? A factory inspector stopped at the Gilman house a couple of years ago and had a lot of unpleasant hints about the place. Seems to get a queer crowd there, for this fella heard voices in the other rooms, though most of them was empty, and well, that gave him the shivers. Really? Yeah. Well, that sounds unbelievable. I think I should go down there and take a look around. <laughs> mm, prying strangers ain't welcome around Innsmouth. That's why I wouldn't go at night if I was you. Well, I suppose I could wait and catch the morning bus. I guess a daytime trip couldn't hurt you. If you're just sightseeing and looking for old-time stuff, Minsmouth ought to be quite a place for you. Well, sounds like my kind of town. Uh, any place else I can learn about it? Mm, nobody around here would have much to say on Innsmouth. suppose you could check the library, but, but heed my warning, son. Don't go to Innsmouth at night. <laughs> May I help you? I'm looking for information about a nearby town, Innsmouth. Innsmouth? What for? Oh, I'm traveling through the area, and the station agent told me about it. It sounds like an interesting place. <sighs> oh, that Edgar. Interesting isn't the word for Innsmouth. You curious about their fishery, refinery, the plague of 46, the jewelry? Jewelry? Well, no, he told me they refined gold, but didn't mention anything about jewelry. Oh, yes. They make things in Innsmouth terrible. Beautiful things. I don't understand. Hold on a moment. Central. Maureen, would you patch me through to Miss Anna? Hello? Miss Anna, it's Annabelle. I have a young man here who might want to see the Innsmouth pieces. May I send him over? Innsmouth? How odd. May I send him over? He's not one of them. Now, would I have called you if he was an Innsmouth man? If he leaves now, you can send him over. I'll unlock the front. Our Newburyport Historical Society has some of the Innsmouth items. Miss Anna Tilton is the curator. She'll show them to you. You just have to make a right turn in front of the library and another right on Howard Street. It's at 112 Howard. Well, thank you so very much. Hello? So, you're the one interested in Innsmouth? Yeah, I'm Robert Olmsted. The librarian said I should come see you. Step into the light. Let me look at you. Is something wrong? Where are you from, Mr. Olmsted? Ohio. I'm a student there. What do you study? History. I see. And your people? What kind of historical society is this? Your people, young man? <laughs> My father's family came to Ohio from Connecticut. My mother's from Arkham. Hmm. Now follow me. So you've never seen pieces from Innsmouth? They have one in Arkham at Miskatonic University. Ma'am, I've never heard of Innsmouth before today. This cupboard in the corner. Yeah, I'll switch on the light. You had to see it, Agent McGraw. It was an alien, opulent fantasy that rested there on a purple velvet cushion. It was a sort of tiara, tall in front and with a very large and curiously irregular periphery as if designed for a head of almost freakishly elliptical outline. The material seemed to be predominantly gold, though a weird lighter lustrousness hinted at some strange alloy. Its condition was almost perfect, and one could have spent hours in studying the, the striking geometrical and marine design molded in high relief on its surface with a craftsmanship of incredible skill and grace. Arresting, isn't it? I've never seen anything like it. The longer I looked, the more the thing fascinated me. 
At first I decided that it was the queer, otherworldly quality of the art which made me uneasy. This tiara clearly belonged to some subtle technique of infinite maturity and perfection, yet that technique was utterly remote from any which I had ever heard of or seen exemplified. It was as if the workmanship were that of another planet. But the longer I stared at it, the more uncomfortable I became. It was as if the strange pictorial and mathematical designs touched off some primal pseudo-memory. Among the reliefs were fabulous creatures of abhorrent grotesqueness and malignity. Those creatures. Some kind of ichthyic monstrosities. The Trachean, if you ask me. It's a positively blasphemous design. The fish frogs, they're... I've never seen anything that smacked of such unknown and inhuman evil. It tends to elicit strong reactions from people. Where did it come from? A drunken Innsmouth man pondered at the old shop on State Street for a pittance. And shortly afterward, he was killed in a brawl. This would have been around 1873. The society acquired it directly from the pawnbroker at once, giving it a display worthy of its quality. The society labelled it as of probable Indo-Chinese provenance, though. I have my doubts. Where do you think it came from? Educated folks around here believe it's part of some exotic pirate horde discovered by old Captain Obed Marsh. The Innsmouth Sea Captain? (laughs) The very one. Once they learned we had it, some members of the Marsh family made some sizable offers for it, but we've held on to it. It's impossibly unique. Oh, dear. It's time I locked up. Have you ever been there, Innsmouth? Oh, good heavens, no. Well, (laughs) everyone here feels so strongly about the place. I've even heard people talk about devil worship. (laughs) Well, there's plenty of good cause. Those rumors are partly justified. A peculiar secret cult there has all but engulfed the Orthodox churches. There's a secret cult? The esoteric order of Dagon. It's a quasi-pagan thing imported from the Easter century ago, back when the Innsmouth fisheries seemed to be going barren. It's persisted among the simpletons because of the sudden and permanent return of abundant fish. It's a very religious community. Well, I'm going there. On the bus tomorrow morning. You know, have have a look around. Young man. You've just come from seeing the best Innsmouth has to offer. The rest is decay, squalor, and desolation. Shortly before ten the next morning, I stood with one small valise in front of Hammond's drugstore, waiting for the Innsmouth buzz. In a few moments, a small motor coach of extreme decrepitude rattled down State Street. I bet you wish you'd never gotten on that bus. You have no idea. Excuse me, is this the... Out of the way. I beg your pardon. Uh, is this the bus for Innsmouth? Better talk. Right, but, but you stop in Innsmouth on the way, don't you? Why? You ain't from Innsmouth. No, I'm just visiting. Sixty cents. The driver was a thin, stoop-shouldered man. Not much under six feet tall, dressed in shabby blue clothes and wearing a frayed golf cap. His age was perhaps 35, but the odd deep creases in the sides of his neck made him seem older. He had a narrow head, bulging, watery blue eyes that seemed never to blink, a flat nose, a receding forehead and chin, and singularly undeveloped ears. His long, thick lip and coarse-poured grayish cheeks seemed almost beardless, and in places the surface seemed queerly irregular, as if peeling from some cutaneous disease. As I extended a dollar bill to him, I noticed his hands were large and heavily veined, and he had a very unusual grayish-blue tinge. The fingers were strikingly short in proportion to the rest of the structure and seemed to have a tendency to curl closely into the huge palm. Your change. Take a seat. As I turned toward the back of the bus, I nearly tripped on the driver's feet and noticed that they were inordinately immense. I wondered how he could buy any shoes to fit them. He was greasy and gave off the smell of old fish docks. Just what foreign blood was in him, I could not even guess. The day was warm and sunny, but the landscape of sand, sedgegrass, and stunted shrubbery became increasingly desolate as we proceeded. We presently drew very near the beach as our narrow road veered off from the main highway. 
At last, we saw the vast expanse of the open Atlantic on our left. The smell of the sea took on ominous implications, and the silent driver's bent, rigid back and narrow head became more and more hateful. Well, then we reached the crest of a long hill and beheld the outspread valley beyond, where the Minoxit joins the sea just north of the long line of cliffs that culminate in Kingsport Head. That instant, I came face to face with rumor-shadowed Innsman. It was a town of wide extent and dense construction. The vast huddle of sagging gambrel roofs and peaked gables conveyed the idea of wormy decay, and as we approached along the now descending road, I could see that many roofs had wholly caved in. Stretching inland from among them, I saw the rusted, grass-grown line of the abandoned railway. The decay was worst close to the waterfront, though in its very midst I could spy the white belfry of a fairly well-preserved brick structure which looked like a small factory. The harbor was enclosed by an ancient stone breakwater. Here and there, the ruins of wharves jutted out from the shore to end in indeterminate rottenness, and far out at sea, I glimpsed a long black line scarcely rising above the water, yet carrying a suggestion of odd, latent malignancy. This must be Devil Reef. As I looked, a subtle, curious sense of beckoning mixed with grim repulsion. The leaning, unpainted houses grew thicker and lined both sides of the road. All were apparently deserted, and there were occasional gaps where tumble-down chimneys and cellar walls told of buildings that had collapsed. Pervading everything was the most nauseous, fishy odor imaginable. Soon, I saw increasing signs of habitation, curtained windows and battered motor cars at the curb. Most of the houses were quite old, and as an amateur antiquarian, I almost lost my feeling of menace and repulsion amidst this rich, unaltered survival from the past. As the bus approached the center of town, I saw a large, pillared facade ahead. It used to be the town's Masonic Hall. The structure's paint was now gray and peeling, and bore a black and gold sign so faded that I could only with difficulty make out the words, Esoteric Order of Dagon. <laughs> there was a, a squat stone church on the corner whose basement door was open. I shuddered involuntarily when I spied the first person I'd seen in Innsmouth proper. Uh, there was no real reason to be frightened. It was clearly just the pastor of the church, but he was clad in some peculiar vestments and wore a tall tiara just like the one Miss Tilton had shown me. Doubtless, it was the unusual dress of the Order of Dagon. The bus rolled at last into the large town square and drew up in front of a tall, cupola-crowned building with remnants of yellow paint. A half-a-faced sign proclaimed it to be the Gilman House Hotel. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I'm planning to continue on to Arkham this evening. Is this where I'll find you? Eight o'clock. Hello? Anyone here? What's that? Who's there? Uh, hello. Uh, you're open for business? You looking for a room? Oh, no. Thank you. I'm visiting for the day and need a place to leave my luggage. Can I check it with you until the bus leaves for Arkham this evening? Visiting? Who? With just the town in general. Seeing the sights? Mm. You can leave your bag. That'll be a nickel. Right. Yeah, well, here you go. Uh, uh, listen, can I ask you about the bus driver? What's that? Never mind. I'll be back for the bag this evening. Mm. On one side of the town square was the Minuxet River leading to the ocean. On the other side was a semicircle of slant roof buildings. Lamps were sadly few and small. I was glad that my plans called for departure before dark. There were a few businesses that seemed to be open, and a handful of sullen-looking residents milled about. In one of the least dilapidated buildings near the hotel was a grocery store of the first national chain. Can I help you, sir? Um, why, yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, could I have some cheddar, crackers, and two ginger cookies? Oh, and a pack of Florida Sure. Not many places to eat here. You new in town? I just got off the bus. I imagine you won't want to miss the next one out. Yeah, it is a queer old place. Um, <laughs> I'd venture to guess... You're not from around here. No, sir. <laughs> I'm from Arkham, but I got transferred here by the company. They said they'd fire me if I didn't stay. Tough break. You're telling me. 
I can't stand it here. The people are strange and there's that fish smell everywhere you go. Is there a public library or chamber of commerce? I'd like to take a look at some of the older buildings. There's nothing like that here. There's some real old churches off Main Street, abandoned now. But I'd be careful going anywhere north of there. Careful of what? People here ain't friendly to outsiders. Some strangers have just plain disappeared. Whatever you do, stay away from the Marsh Refinery and the Order of Dagen Hall and any of the other churches north of the river. Why? Innsmouth folk are mighty secretive about what goes on in their services. My pastor in Arkham begged me not to join any church in Innsmouth. Well, no one seems very friendly around here. Uh, <laughs> I was glad when I spotted you and took you for an outsider. Yeah, the locals are a strange bunch. I don't know what they do besides fishing and drinking. Bootleg whiskey, they drink like fish. It's like they're banded together in some sort of fellowship and understanding. Despising the world as if they had somewhere else to go. Those staring eyes hardly ever blink. Have you ever talked to any of them? Heard the voices? Not really. Oh, it's disgusting. You should hear them chanting in their churches at night. Especially during the main festivals or revivals. Uh, that'll be 58 cents. They just drink and go to church? And swim. All the time they have these swimming races out to Devil Reef. Seems all the young people do it. Well, the old folks cheer them on. <laughs> you know, you never really see old folks in Innsmouth. The older they get, the more they get that... Innsmouth look. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe the old ones die off. I don't know. The old clerk at the Gilman house, he's about the only old fellow I've ever seen. But then he don't have that Innsmouth look. Is it some kind of disease that gets worse as I get older? I don't know. I don't think anybody knows. They'd never talk to anyone who wasn't from Innsmouth, and they... They'd have it, too. Yeah. yeah. Some of them have it extra bad. So bad, they keep them hidden away. You get down on the waterfront north of the river, there's all kinds of terrible things. But don't go asking about. There's only one of them who'd say a word to an outsider. Who's that? An old fellow who lingers around the old fire station. Zadok Allen. Must be nearly 100 years old. He doesn't have the Innsmouth look. It lives up at the poorhouse. He won't say a word when he's sober, but when he's got drinking him, uh, he can tell stories that turn your hair white. Crazy stories. The natives don't like it when he talks to strangers. What do the people do for money? The water around here is full of fish, but the locals don't seem to care much anymore. The only real business is the refinery. Old man marshes, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I've never seen him, but he's got a fancy car that sometimes goes by with curtains in the windows. The younger marshes run things now. Oh, Lord, his eldest daughter, she looks like a reptile and wears this ancient gold jewelry. Apparently came from the horde of some pirates or, or demons, depending on who you ask. But it's the Marshes, the Waits, the Gilmans and the Elliots that run the town. They have big houses up on Washington Street. Well, which way's Washington Street? Well, here, I'll draw you a map. It'll help. It's easy to get lost here. A lot of the street signs are down. Uh, be sure to keep an eye out for... Uh, be right with you, sir. Thank you. Don't mention it. Hey. Yes? I haven't seen you around here before. No. No, sir. You're an Innsmouth man. Uh, no, um, Arkham, actually. With a grocery boy's map to guide me, I decided to thread the principal streets, talk with any non-natives I might encounter, and catch the 8 o'clock coach for Arkham. Thus I began my half-bewildered tour of Innsmouth's narrow, shadow-blighted ways. So you set out alone, on foot? I did. I passed close to the Marsh Refinery, which seemed to be oddly free from the noise of industry. Crossing the Minuxit on the Main Street Bridge, I struck a region of utter desertion that somehow made me shudder. Collapsing huddles of Gambrel roofs formed a jagged, fantastic skyline, above which rose the ghoulish, decapitated steeple of an ancient church. Down unpaved side streets, I saw the black, gaping windows of deserted hovels, many of which leaned at perilous and incredible angles through the sinking part of the foundations. I turned eastward toward the waterfront. The sight of such endless avenues of fishy-eyed vacancy and death, and the thought of such linked infinities of black, brooding compartments given over to cobwebs and memories and the conqueror worm start up vestigial fears and aversions that not even the stoutest philosophy can disperse. Fish Street was as deserted as Maine, though it differed in having many brick and stone warehouses still in excellent shape. 
Well, I picked my way back over the tottering Water Street Bridge. North of the river, there were traces of squalid life. Active fish-packing houses in Water Street, smoking chimneys and patched roofs here and there. Occasional sounds from indeterminate sources and infrequent shambling forms in the dismal streets and unpaved lanes. <laughs> the people were more hideous and abnormal than those near the center of the town. Undoubtedly, the alien strain in the Innsmouth folk was stronger here than farther inland. I heard faint sounds. They are naturally to have come from the visibly inhabited houses, yet they were often strongest inside the boarded-up facades. I thought about the hidden tunnels suggested by the grocery boy and hastened out of that vile waterfront slum. I worked my way to the decayed patrician neighborhood of Northern Broad, Washington, Lafayette, and Adams Streets. You know, these stately old avenues were ill-surfaced and unkempt. Their elm-shaded dignity had not entirely departed. Fine old mansions lined the streets, most of them decrepit and boarded up, but one or two in each street that showed signs of occupancy. On the most sumptuous of these, in Washington Street, with wide terraced parterres, I took to be the home of Old Man Marsh. I crossed again to the south bank of the river, where furtive shambling creatures stared cryptically in my direction. Innsmouth was rapidly becoming intolerable, and I turned down Payne Street toward the square in the hope of getting some vehicle to take me to Arkham before the still distant starting time of the bus. It was then that I saw the tumble-down fire station. I noticed the red-faced, bushy-bearded, watery-eyed old man who sat on a bench in front of it, talking with a pair of unkempt-looking firemen. Well, this had to be Zadok Allen, the half-crazed, licorice, nonagenarian, full of hideously incredible tales of old Innsmouth. You could have left then. Why didn't you get out of there? Oh, it must have been some imp of the perverse, or some sardonic pull from dark, hidden sources, which made me change my plans as I did. Curiosity flared up beyond sense and caution when I reflected that old Zadok must have seen everything which went on around Innsmouth for nearly a century. I couldn't resist. Maybe I shouldn't admit this to you, McGraw. Bootleg whiskey wasn't cheap, but it wasn't hard to find. Now, I ducked into a dingy variety store and purchased a quart. I brandished the bottle to gain his attention, and within a few minutes he was following me at a distance as I headed towards the deserted waterfront I'd visited previously. Hey, uh, mister! May I help you? My rheumatism's acting up. Perchance could ye spare a nip for my health? Oh, be my guest. Robert Olmsted. Zadok Allen, young squire. He followed me along the rotted wharves. Piles of moss-covered stones near the water promised tolerable seats, and the scene was sheltered from all possible view by a ruined warehouse on the north. Here, I thought, was the ideal place for a long, secret colloquy. The air of death and desertion was ghoulish, and the smell of fish almost insufferable, but I was resolved to let nothing deter me. If they tell me you know quite a lot about Innsmouth, yeah. they say... You know about Innsmouth and its secrets. Can't say nothing. Lost my reputation. Immortal, just a bit. What? Do you think you can spare another taste? Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, mind if I eat? There's more things in your dream and your philosophy. I've always said that if there's one thing a man must be, it's given his best time. I endured nearly two hours of evasive gibberish, and I was on the verge of leaving him when I saw him fix his eyes on the low, distant line of Devil Reeve. Devil Reeve is the name for it. Wait, wait, wait what, 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 what did you say about the Reeve? That's where it all began. That cursed place of all wickedness, where the deep water starts. Gate of hell, sheer drop down to a bottom no sound in line can take. No Captain Obed done it. <laughs> him that found it out more than was good for him in the South Sea Islands. Well, what did he find? Everybody was in a bad way them days. Trade falling off, mills losing business. Best of our men folk killed privateering in the War of 1812. Obed was the only one that kept on with the East Indies and Pacific trades. <laughs> Never was nobody like Captain Obert. Old limb of Satan. He'd tell about foreign parts and call folks stupid for going to Christian meetings. Says they ought to get better guards. Ones that in return for sacrifices would really answer folks' prayers. Told about an island 
where there was old stone ruins with carvings of faces that looked like the big statues on Easter Island. And there was a little volcanic island near there with other ruins and different carvings. Ruins all worn away where they'd been under the sea once. And with pictures of awful monsters all over them. Monsters? <laughs> he says the natives around there had all the fish they could catch and, and spotted bracelets and armlets and head rings made a, out of a queer kind of gold and covered with pictures of monsters, just like the ones carved over the ruins on the little island. Sort of fish-like frogs or frog-like fishes that was drawn in all kinds of positions like they was human. Nobody could get out of them where they got all that stuff. And all the other natives wondered how they managed to find fish aplenty when they weren't known elsewhere abouts. Obed wormed the story out of the heathen chief. Wallachia, they called him. Nobody but Obed ever believed the old yellow devil. But the captain could read folk just like they was books. Nobody believes me now when I tell him. And I don't suppose you will. Oh, come to look at ye. Kind of got them sharp reading eyes like Obed had. What did the chief tell him? Those Kanakis were sacrificing heaps of their young men and maidens to some kind of god things that lived under the sea and getting all kinds of favor in return. They met the things on the little island with the queer runes, and it seems them awful pictures of frogfish monsters were supposed to be pictures of these things. They had all kinds of cities on the sea bottom, and this island was heaved up from there. Seemed there was some of them things alive in the stone buildings when the island come sudden to the surface. That's how the Kanakis got wind they was down there. Made sign talk as soon as they got over being scared and pieced up a bargain before long. Them things liked human sacrifices. Now what they done with the victims ain't for me to say, but it was all right with the heathens because they'd been having a hard time and was desperate about everything. They give a certain number of their young folk to the sea things twice every year, regular as could be. Also gave a, a carved knick-knacks they made. And the things agreed to give in return was plenty of fish. They drug them from all over the sea and a few gold things now and then. The natives met the things on the little volcanic islet, going there in canoes with the sacrifices, etc. And bringing back any of the gold-like jewels as was coming to them. At first the things didn't never go on to the main island, but after time they come to want to. Seems they hankered after mixing with the folks and having ceremonies on the big days, May Eve and Halloween. You see, they was able to live both in and out of the water. Now the Kanakis told them how folks from other islands might want to wipe them out if they got wind of their being there. But they says they don't care much because they could wipe out the whole brood of humans. When it come to mating with them toad-looking fishes, the Kanakis kind of barked. But finally, they learned something has put a new face on the matter. Seems that human folks has got a kind of relation to such water beasts. That everything alive come out of the water once and only needs a little change to go back again. Them things told the Kanakis that if they mixed bloods, they'd be children as would look human at first, but later turn more and more like the things till finally they take to the water and join the main lot of things down there. Good God. And this is the important part, young fella. Them as turned into fish things and went into the water wouldn't never die. Them things never die except they was killed violent. Now them islanders, they was all full of fish blood from the deep water things. When they got old and begun to show it, they was kept hid until they felt like taken to the water. Them as was born more like the things changed early, but them as was nearly human sometimes stayed on the island till they was past 70. When folks as had took to the water generally come back a good deal to visit, so a man would often be talking to his own five times great-grandfather who left the dry land a couple of hundred years or so before. Well, everybody got out of the idea of dying and simply looked forward to kind of change that wasn't a bit horrible after a while. They thought what they'd got was well worth all they had to give up. And I guess Obed kind of come to the, think the same himself. Malachia, he showed Obed a lot of the rites and incantations as had to do with the sea things. And let him see some of the folks in the village as had changed a lot from human shape. But he never would let him see one of the regular things from right out of the water. In the end, he gave him a funny kind of thigamajig made out of lead or something that he said would bring up the fish things from any place in the water where there might be a nest of them. 
The idea was to drop it down with the right kind of prayers and such. Wallachia allowed as things were scattered all over the world, so anybody that looked about could find a nest in them and bring them up if they wanted. Now, Matt Elliott, Captain Orbit's first mate, was against folks doing heathen things. He didn't like this business at all, and he wanted Orbit to keep away from the island, but the captain was sharp for gain and found that he could get them gold things so cheap it would pay him to make a specialty of them. Well, come about 38, when I was seven year old, Orbit found the island people all wiped out between voyages. Seems the other islanders got wind of what was going on and had took matters into their own hands. Suppose they must have had them magic signs, as the sea thing says, was the only things they was afeard of. <laughs> Pious cusses these was. They didn't leave nothing standing on either the main island or the little volcanic island, except what parts of the ruins was too big to knock down. Folks all wiped out, no tracer, no gold-like things, and none of the nearby Kanakis would breathe a word about the matter. Wouldn't even admit there ever had been people on that island. And that naturally hit Obit pretty hard, seeing as his normal trade was doing very poor. It hit the whole of Innsmouth, too, because in seafaring days, what profited the master of a ship generally profited the crew proportionate. Oh, but he began a cursing at the folks for being dull sheep and praying to a Christian heaven as didn't help them none. He told them he knowed of folks as prayed to gods that gave something you really need and says if a good bunch of men would stand with him, he could maybe get a hold of certain powers that could bring plenty of fish and quite a bit of gold. Of course, the sailors that seed the island knowed what he meant and wasn't none too anxious to get close to see things like they heard tell on. But them as didn't know what twas all about got kind of swayed by what Obed had to say and began to ask him what he could do to set them on the way to a faith that would bring him results. Sadak? Man, must be. Wait, what's the matter? Do you, do you see something out there? Mixed with them, I don't know. Do you. Yeah, want, want some more? Why don't you finish the bottle? <clears throat> Poor Mac Tried to line up the folks on his side Had long talks with the preachers (laughs) No use They run the congregational parson out of town The Methodist fella quit Never did see resolve The Baptist parson again Wrath of Jehovah I was a little critter but I heard what I heard And I seen what I seen Dagon and Astrith, Belial and Balzabub Golden calf and the idols of Canaan And the Philistines Babylonish abominations, many, 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 tickle you farce. Say, Zadok, let, let me have the bottle. I think maybe you've had enough. Don't believe me, eh? Then tell me why Captain Obed and 20-odd other folks used to row out to Devil Reef in the dead of night and chant things so loud you could hear them all over town. Tell me that, eh? And tell me why Obed was always dropping heavy things down into the deep water the other side of the reef. Tell me what he'd done with that funny-shaped lead thigamajig as Malachia gave him, eh, boy? And what did they all howl on May Eve? And again on the next Halloween? And why the new church parsons, fellows that used to be sailors, wear them queer robes and cover themselves in gold things, Obedbrung, eh? I, I, I don't know. Beginning <laughs> to see, eh? Maybe I'd like to have been me in them days when I seen things at night out at sea. Oh, I can tell ye I wasn't missing nothing of what was gossiped about Captain Obed and the folks out there on the reef. How about the night I took my pa's ship glass up to the Coppola and see the reef bristling thick with shapes that dove off quick soon as the moons rise? What shapes? Obed and the folks was in the dory, but them shapes dove off the far end into the deep water and never come up. How'd you like to be a little shaver all alone or watching shapes that wasn't human shapes? I suppose one night you see something heavy heaved off of Hobart's dory beyond the reef. And then learn the next day a young fella was missing from home. Eh? Did anybody ever see hide in the hair of Hiram Gillum, huh? Did they? And Nick Pierce, Luli White, Madonnerum Southwick and Henry Garrickson, hey? <laughs> Shapes talking sign language with their hands. <laughs> Them that ha- has had real hands. Wait, you think he was... That was a time Obed begun to get on his feet again. Folks see his three daughters are wearing gold-like things as nobody's never seen on them before. And smoke started coming out of the refinery chimney. Fish began to swarm into the harbor fit to kill. So it was just like what the Kanakis had done. I don't think Obed aimed at first to do no mixing, nor raise no young'uns to take to the water and turn into fishes. He wanted them gold things and was willing to pay heavy. And I guess the others were satisfied for a while. 
In 46, the town done some looking and thinking for itself. Too many folks missing, too much wild preaching at meetings of a Sunday, too much talk about the reef. There was a party one night as followed Obed's crowd out to the reef, and I heard shots betwixt the dories. Next day, Obed and 32 others was in jail, with everybody wondering just what was afoot and just what charge against them could be got hold of. If anybody looked ahead a couple of weeks later, well, nothing had been thrown into the sea for that long. What happened? That awful night. I seen them. Hordes of them. Swarms of them all over the reef, swimming up the harbor into the Minoxid. God, what happened in the streets of Innsmouth that night? They rattled our door, but Pa wouldn't open, and he climbed out the kitchen window with his musket to see what he could do. Mounds of the dead and dying, shots and screams, shouting in old square and town square, new church green, jails throwed open, proclamation, treason, called it the plague when folks come in and found half our people missing. Nobody left except them as would join in with Albert and them things or else keep quiet. Never heard of my pa no more. So there was no plague. They just called it that. Everything cleaned up in the morning, but there were traces. Nobody kind of takes charge and says things is going to be changed. Others is going to worship with us at meeting time, and certain houses have got to entertain guests. They wanted to mix like they done with the Kanakis, and he for one didn't feel bound to stop them. He says they bring us fish and treasure and should have what they hankered after. We'd gone mad. Far gone. Said nothing was to be different on the outside, only we was to keep shy of strangers if we knew what was good for us. We all had to take the oath of Dagon. Later on, there was a second and third oaths for some of us. Them as it would help special and get special rewards, gold and such. No use barking, for there was millions of them down there. They'd rather not start rising, wiping out humankind, but if they was gave away and forced to, they could just do that. We didn't have them charms to cut them off like folks in the South Sea did. Yield enough sacrifices and savage knickknacks and harborage in town when they wanted it, and they'd let well enough alone. Wouldn't bother no strangers as might bear tales outside. That is, without they got prying. All in the band of the faithful, Order O'Dagon, and the children should never die, but go back to the mother Hydra and father Dagon, what we all come from once. Ia, Ia, Finglui, Migwinoff, Cthulhu, Rayleigh. Waganagel for talking. It's not real, Sadak. These are just stories, legends. I was there. God, what I seen since I was fifteen year old. Many, many tigalele you fallsin. The folks as was missing and them as has killed themselves. Them as tried to tell the outsiders was all called crazy. But God, what I seen. It'd have killed me long ago for what I know. Only I took the first and second oaths of Dagon off of Hobart, so I was protected. But I wouldn't take the third oath. I'd die rather than take the third oath. What was the third oath? Around Civil War time, when children born since 46 begun to grow up, some of them, that is, I was afeard. Never did no prying after that awful night. And never seen one of them close up in all my life. That is, never no full-blooded one. I went to the war. If I had any guts or sense, I'd have never come back. I'd settled away far from here. After the war, it was just as bad again. People begun to fall off, mills and shops shut down, shipping stopped and the harbor choked up, railroad gave up, but they, they never stopped swimming in and out of the river from the cursed reef of sea. And more and more attic windows got aborted up, and more and more noises were heard in houses that wasn't supposed to have nobody in them. In 46, Captain Obert took his second wife, had three children by her, Two has disappeared young, but one gal has looked like anybody else who was educated in Europe. Obed finally got her married off by a trick to an Arkham fella, as didn't suspect nothing. Barnabas Marsh, that runs the refinery now, is Obed's grandson by his first wife. Yeah, Barnabas is about changed. Can't shut his eyes no more, and he's all out of shape. They say he still wears clothes, but he'll take to the water soon. Maybe he's tried it already. They do sometimes go down for little spells before they go down for good. Ain't been seed about in public for nigh on ten years. God knows. What is it? Zadok, do you see something out there? Zadok, what is it? Hey, let go of my coat. Hey, you. How'd you like to be living in a town like this? With everything a rotten and a 
dying, boarded up monsters crawling and bleeding and barking and hopping around black cellars and attics every way you turn. Hey, how'd you like to hear the howling night after night from the churches and the order of Dagon Hall and know what's doing part of the howling? How'd you like to hear what comes from that awful reef every May Eve and hollow mass? Hey, think the old man's crazy? Hey, well, sir, let me tell you that ain't the worst. Cedar, stop. Please! Curse ye! Who'd sit there a-staring at me with them eyes? I say, Obed Marsh, he's in hell. And he's got to stay there in hell, I says. Can't get me. He ain't done nothing. But told nobody Let go of me! You just sit still and listen to me, boy. This is what I ain't never told nobody. I says I didn't get to do no prying after that night, but I found things about just the same. You want to know what the real horror here is, eh? Well, it's this. It ain't what them fish devils have done, but what they're a-going to do. They're a-bringing things up out of where they come from, into the town. Been doing it for years, and slackening up lately. Them houses north of the river betwixt water and Main Street, it's full of them. Full of them devils, and what they brung. And when they get ready, I say, when they get... You ever hear tell of a shoggoth? Hey, do you, do, you, do you hear me? I tell you, I know what them things be. I, I, I seen them one night. What? What is it? Did you see something? Get, 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 get out of here. They seen us. Get out for your life. Don't wait for nothing. They know now. Run for it. Quick. Get out of this town. Sadak! dramatic part two conclusion of H.P. Lovecraft's The Shadow Over Innsmith. The Drabblecast was brought to you with a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial no derivatives license, which means don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. If you enjoy our show, write us a review on iTunes or tell a friend. Spread the weird. Special thanks to our kick-ass episode artist, Tristan Tolhurst. Tristan's a Montreal-based painter, illustrator, and horror enthusiast. He specializes in art that could one day lead to the kind of haunted children's book that appears in your house unexpectedly one day and can't be removed or destroyed. Until that time comes, inevitably drawing that terrible gaze of otherworldly retribution his way, his work can be found on Instagram at Tristan Draws Monsters. Our program this week was brought to you by Abby Hilton, Bo Kaya, Oren Pratt, Adam Pratt, Maria Dong, Jason Cavella, Michelle Restuccia, a filthy, fully-sized Mr. Peanut costume found discarded in San Salvador, Jason Smith, Tina Kolakowski, and yours truly, Crypt Keeper Norm, reminding you, it's, it's candy that we give out. Candy. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.